As you are seated, the children are now dismissed to junior church. So you can go join Mrs. Coy for junior church. We are going to be going to John chapter 3 here in just a moment. John chapter 3. And um, hopefully I can run this myself. There we go. John chapter 3. And for those watching virtually, one thing we noticed as we watched last week's service is sometimes there were a little... I don't know what they were called, like um, it seemed like the camera skipped or something like that. If you're experiencing that, I apologize, we have no idea what's going on there. So it's technology, we're trying to make it as best we can, and hopefully it, it, it's working better today. We're still trying to, since last March when all this started, we've been trying to adjust, you know, and we're not the size of church that can have you know, the financial ability and the help of a, of a full-time multimedia team with special equipment. We're just trying to work with what we have. And I appreciate Ken's work back there on the computer and actually even coming in extra to help out. And Tony next week um, recording it. And Tony actually donated the camera we've been using. And I just really appreciate it. So we're just continuing to move forward. So hopefully it works a little better today. But we're going to go to John chapter 3, like I said. And before I introduce the passage... I said something last week that I wasn't, I'm sorry, last night, that I wasn't really going to share uh, this morning, but when Steve just talked about, you know, being in the Lord's presence, it made me think to just say this. You know, sometimes we trivialize worship, and we ought not do that. You know, if, if you're in some informal meeting at work, or, you know, maybe just um, something not really a big deal, you know, some public meeting. You might text during the meeting, and you may not take it that seriously. And you might, you know, doze off or whatever. But if you're standing, if, you, if you're invited to a meeting with world leaders, you know, Queen Elizabeth II, or maybe a president of the United States, pick your president, you know, whoever you want to, whoever your favorite president is, I don't think you're going to, and not take it seriously. I think you're going to take it very seriously. I don't think. I think you're going to have eyes on him or her. You're going to really have your attention there. You're going to put your phone on silent or on, you know, or maybe even leave it at home. You're going to take it so seriously. And the question is, why don't we take worshiping the Lord that seriously and even more so? You know, when we are come before the Lord in worship, we are worshiping the God of all creation, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who gave himself for our salvation. And we ought not take that lightly. So, you know, we do as that, you know, that song we just sang. And, and you might recognize a reference from Revelation 4. In Revelation 4 and 5, it talks about the elders bowing down and casting their worldly crowns before the feet of Jesus. And that's what we're singing about. We fall down. We lay our crowns, our worldly crowns, all of our worldly achievements at the feet of Jesus. And we recognize he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. There is no other. And I hope we take that seriously and reverently. Today we're going to talk about Jesus, the gift of God's love. And we're going to look at John chapter 3 here in just a moment. To set that up, think about it. What would we do without light? How does light change things? Remember we had a baptism service here about two years and three months ago. And during Sunday school, the power went out in the whole church building. I mean, how dare they? I don't know who was in charge of the power that day. They had one job to do and they messed it up. The power went out. Okay, it wasn't just our church, it was the whole community, okay? And we lit candles, and we went through with the baptism service, and it was even more special. 
but that's always a reminder of how appreciative we might be because of light. What would we do without light, you know? Have you ever lived in a time without electric lighting? Think about times when you have been in the dark and then all of a sudden the lights come back on. What's it like? You know, all of a sudden the power comes back on. In 2008, a hurricane swept through the country, the whole country, including Ohio. I was in Cincinnati at that time and for two days we were without power. For two weeks, some were without power, you know, and during that time, we realized how grateful we are for power. And part of that is electric lighting. One, one little candle does not really light up a whole room or a whole house that much, does it? What would we do without light? Have you ever driven on dark roads? I drove two hours each way to seminary. I scheduled my classes Tuesdays and Thursdays. I left at about 5.30 in the morning. And by the time it was late spring, May, it was nice because the light was already out. The sun was up. But when in February, when I'm leaving my house at 5.30 in the morning, and it is totally dark out. And I would get on Interstate 75 in Cincinnati, and I'm going through Cincinnati, and in Cincinnati, all the roads are lit up. You have all the bright lights of Cincinnati, and then you get south of a city called Florence. You know it's Florence because they have a water tower right off Interstate 75, and the water tower says, Florence, y'all. It really says that. And um, Ken probably knows. He's probably been there. And you go south, and you keep going. Once you get south of Florence, the roads get really dark really fast. And I don't know about you, but I don't always like driving on those dark roads. I don't always like that. God kept me safe, and I'm thankful for it. Light helps us see, but more than that, light also makes us more comfortable, doesn't it? Maybe you're like me. You're more comfortable driving when you can see not just right in front of you with your headlights or your high beams, but you can see all around you. You know, if there's a deer over, the, over on the side about to jump on the road or if there's hills coming up and turns, you want to see. You're way more comfortable. In 2007, I took my youth ministry group, our youth group, on a mission trip, and we went to Tampa, Florida. And we scheduled the trip with plenty of time to drive and get down there. And then somebody from our church scheduled a wedding the night before we had to leave. So we had to change our agenda, and we left at midnight and drove straight down from Cincinnati to Tampa, Florida. It was me and one other adult driving a church van, a 15-passenger van, and we left at midnight. So I took over driving in Tennessee at 2.30 in the morning. And we're driving through the Appalachian Mountains, you know, of Tennessee, and there was no other car on the road. It was just us. And as you drove down the hills, we would see, you know, some fog and things like that. I really did not like that very much. I was so eager for the sunrise that next day, which it did rise about that time we were in Georgia, almost to Atlanta. Light makes us more comfortable. Light changes things, doesn't it? Light can bring joy, can't it? How do you feel when you see Christmas lights? I love driving around seeing Christmas lights this time of year. Christmas lights, to me, always have brought joy. I mean, isn't it beautiful even in here seeing the Christmas tree lit up and the lights over here to my right and left? You know, Christmas lights bring happiness and bring joy. Today, we'll see Jesus described as the light of the world. Jesus, the light of the world. In fact, that's a theme of John's gospel. Multiple times throughout John's gospel, Jesus is described as the light of the world. 
By the way, if you don't know, there's a fill in the blank in your bulletin. And there were the first three blanks were light, light, and comfortable. And those are the, the only three answers I'm going to give you. So you can keep following along. Jesus, the light of the world. This year we have been talking about Jesus, the indescribable gift. Jesus, God's indescribable gift. You know, we're in Christmas season. We're in Advent season. We talk about gifts. Jesus is the indescribable gift of the Lord for Christmas time. Two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus, the gift of God's grace. And then last week, we talked about Jesus, the gift of God's truth. Remember, we walked through John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Jesus, the gift of God's truth. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus, the gift of God's love. On Christmas Eve, we will talk about Jesus, the indescribable gift. God in the manger. God in the manger. You think about that? God's presence, uh, that, that baby in the manger was fully God and fully man. Jesus in the manger, fully God and fully man. It's called the incarnation. God took on flesh. On December 27th, we will finish this series talking about Jesus, the gift of God's hope. You know, you realize that? If you know Jesus, you have hope. We always have hope. Jesus is the gift of God's hope. We always have hope, and yet oftentimes we forget that. Oftentimes we act like our hope is in politics, or our hope is in money, or our hope is in many other things. Jesus is our hope. So my theme today, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he is the gift of God's love. The light of the world. And Nicodemus seems to become a disciple. We see that in John chapter 7, verse 50. Jesus is the gift of God's love, the light of the world, and Nicodemus seems to become a disciple. My application, are you seeking the light of the world? Are you seeking Jesus? Oftentimes I like to read the whole passage in the beginning. We're not going to do that today. We're going to read bits and pieces of the passage as we walk through this message. First, we're going to talk about how Jesus teaches that we must be born again. And we see that in verses 1 through 8 of John chapter 3. So you might want to turn there and just park in John chapter 3. And Jesus teaches that we must be born again. In verse 1, we see there was a man of the Pharisees. That clues us into some things. This man is a Pharisee, which means that he is a religious teacher. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is a religious teacher. The verse lists him as a ruler of the Jews. He was on the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin would be the Jewish Supreme Court, except that their Supreme Court had something like 70 people on it. But, San, but this, this is telling us some things. Anybody in the first century would have known it. Nicodemus, who Jesus is about to talk to, is a religious leader, a high official, a religious teacher. On their Supreme Court, their version of our Supreme Court, he was on it. John chapter 3 is about Jesus talking to a very important person in first century Judaism. We only see Nicodemus a couple more times in the Bible. In John chapter 7, verse 50, we see Nicodemus, as well as in John chapter 19, verse 39. He came to Jesus at night, which is why some call him Nick at night. It is very interesting, and this is bonus for you. It's not in my sermon notes. Why did he choose to come to Jesus at night? Why couldn't he come to Jesus during the daytime like everyone else? I mean, Jesus probably had office hours, right? Probably not. 
it's quite likely he came at night because he wanted, he, he did not want people to see him coming to Jesus. He was a religious leader. Jesus calls him the teacher of all Israel. He was on the Sanhedrin. And he did not want the journalists and the news media and, and the political pundits of the day to start writing about how this man went to see Jesus. So he came in secret. He came at night. In fact, later on, it talks about people and Nicodemus among them who were disciples in secret for fear of the Jews. Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi, and that means teacher. Get this, he begins acknowledging that Jesus is from God. It would be easy for us to think that he came to Jesus in order to trap Jesus or with some type of manipulative type of agenda. And it seems like that is not the case, okay? It seems like he came at night for, because of his own worldly fears. Later on, we do see people try to trap Jesus. In the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, I think it is, or 11, I think 10 though, you know, it does seem like a scribe or a lawyer wanted to trap Jesus. I don't think that's what Nicodemus' agenda was. I think he just came at night because of fear. Look at him. He comes to Jesus with great humility, calling him teacher. He acknowledges that Jesus is from God. He refers to Jesus' miracles. He, he says no one can do the signs Unless God is with them. Nicodemus comes in great humility and comes with a teachable spirit. Do you have a teachable spirit? Are you ready for Jesus to teach you things? Sometimes we get stuck and we are not teachable. We need to come with a teachable spirit. In verse 3, we now see Jesus answers and the conversation begins. We must be born again. Look at John chapter 3, verse 3. Look either in your Bibles or, or on the screen or in your notes. It, uh, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. And, and there's some thoughts about this. There was something wrong with the first birth. The first birth was into the fallen world we need born of the spirit our first birth was in our fallen nature in our first birth we were depraved we need born of the spirit we talked in great detail about that a month or so ago in the worldview sermon series we have a fallen nature we have a sin nature Read Romans 1, verses 18 through 32 about that. We have something wrong with the first birth. We need born again. And if you're not born again yet, if you don't know Christ, you need born again too. In verse 4, we see that Nicodemus was confused. Not just a little confused. He was very confused. Nicodemus was being very literal. He thought we would have to enter the womb again. I mean, picture that as an adult. Nicodemus didn't get it. He didn't get it. In verse 5, Jesus clarifies. Jesus says we must be born of water and the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. We must be born of water and the Spirit. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is restating verse 3, but now mentioning what born again means. Jesus is making it clear being born again means to be born of the Spirit. Born of the Holy Spirit. Listen, without being born again, you are spiritually dead. The power is cut off. 
No power going to your spiritual house. You need born again. We need born again. Now, there are two key Old Testament texts about this. Isaiah 44.3 uses poetic parallelism to equate water and the spirit. Back then, they would talk about water having to do with the spirit. The Old Testament oftentimes talked about the Holy Spirit being poured out like water. And later on, you can look at Proverbs 1.23 and Joel 2.28-29 and Zechariah 12.10 about that. Ezekiel 36 verses 25 through 27 is another key passage about born again. In that passage, the Lord is talking about cleansing. There, the Lord, there the Lord is affirming the promise of the new covenant to Israel. And look at what God says. This is a passage. Ezekiel 36 verses 25 through 27. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Listen, we have a problem with our first heart. We need a new spirit. There was a problem with our first birth. It was in the worldly ways. We need reborn. God continues. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. We need born again. We need the heart of stone taken out of us. And we need a heart of flesh that God can work in on. This is called regeneration. We need powered up inside with spiritual power. I knew a guy who would kind of fix up old houses. And he actually just, he was a Cedarville University professor, Dr. Cook. Uh, Craig would know of him. And he talked about, you know, when he was fixing up an old house, the power was turned off. And then one day it was time to turn the power on. He would call the electric company. The electric company would come on, come out and turn the power on. That's what it's like when the Holy Spirit regenerates us. That's what it's like when we are born again. We are spiritually made new. We had something wrong with the first birth, so Jesus gives us rebirth. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17 on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you are in Christ, realize that you are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. We are made new because there was something wrong with the first birth. Verse 6 continues about birth. Born of the flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. This means that the flesh represents our sin nature, and the spirit represents our rebirth. In verses 7 through 8, Jesus tells him not to be amazed about what he has said. Jesus then compares the Holy Spirit to the wind. We know the wind is there, but we do not know where it comes from or is going. And that is the same with the Holy Spirit. Wind and spirit translate the same Greek and Hebrew words. Next, Jesus teaches the dichotomy between our ways and the Spirit's ways. The dichotomy. That means the difference. Jesus rebukes Nicodemus for not understanding these things. In verse 9, Jesus asks how, um, in verse 9, Nicodemus asks how these things can be. And in verse 10, Jesus says that he is a teacher of all Israel, and yet he does not understand. Nicodemus being a Pharisee, being part of the Sanhedrin, is a teacher of all Israel, and he doesn't understand. Look at verses 11 through 15. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. 
but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is speaking of what he knows and has seen. Notice this. Jesus says, we speak of what we know. Jesus is using Trinitarian language. We, meaning the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We speak of what we know. We give testimony to what we know. In verse 12, Jesus is saying, How can he teach him more when he does not understand things so far? He does not understand things so far because he needs born again. He needs born again. In verses 13 through 15, we see that Jesus has ascended into heaven and descended from heaven. Jesus must be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. Jesus is alluding to Numbers 21.9, the bronze serpent that saved the people. In Numbers 21, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, were traveling in the wilderness. And they started getting bit by these serpent-type things. And they needed help. And they cry out. And Moses goes to the Lord for help. And God has him create this type of... Um, Serpent, which we put on a big pole. And as a people, if the people were bit, they could look up on, at that serpent on that pole and be healed. And Jesus says, just like that, the Son of Man, Jesus is referring to himself, the Son of Man must also be lifted up on the cross to save them and to save us. And this is God's love. This is God's love. God's love sent Jesus the light of the world. But some love the darkness rather than the light. Here's a question. Do you love the darkness or do you seek the light? Are you seeking Jesus, the light of the world? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall inherit everlasting life, shall inherit eternal life. Notice that God loved. For God so loved the world. That's what the passage says. For God so loved the world. Notice further that God loved to the point where he gave. One Bible scholar points out this. The Greek construction puts some emphasis on the actuality of the gift. It is not God loved enough to give, but God loved so that he gave. God loved so that he gave his only begotten son for our eternal life. The same scholar continues, the construction of the Greek sentence stresses the intensity of God's love. He gave his best, his unique and loved son. The Jews believe that God loved the children of Israel. But John affirmed that God loved all people regardless of race. And that is why we are here. God loved the world. This is not God loved just Israel. No, God loved the whole world enough to send his son Jesus. God loved, so the, God loved the world that he gave his unique son. The rest of the passage picks up the purpose that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Salvation is open to all, but only through Jesus. Salvation is open to all of us and everyone who lives, but only through Jesus. Look at John 3.18. He who believes in him, that's Jesus, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Rejecting Jesus is rejecting God the Father. In verses 19 through 21, we see that Jesus came into the world as the light, but people love darkness rather than light. That's when we start to see this idea as Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus came into the world as 
the light of the world, as the light of the world. It's interesting, Hanukkah just began just over a week ago. And Hanukkah is called the Feast of Lights. The Feast of Lights. It goes back to the Maccabees, you know, delivering the oppression of the Israelite people from the Greeks. And about, it was about 170 B.C. I'm hoping that there's a movie made about it someday. I think Mel Gibson could make a good movie about that because he likes movies like that. But the, Jew, um, the Jewish people were living in Israel, but they were still under the thumb of, of the Greeks. And they went into the temple and sacrificed a pig, which is an unclean animal, in the Jewish temple. And they sacrificed the pig to Zeus, to the Greek god Zeus. And this was so, so, so bad that Judas Maccabees came in with his sons and they led a revolt. And, the first, and for the first time in something like 300, 400 years, probably 400 years, since 586 B.C., for the first time since 586 B.C., the Jewish people were delivered from the oppressor and had the authority over their own country because of that. And so Hanukkah came up as a feast of lights because they had to light their candles. And as part of lighting the candles in the temple, there was one candle that had to burn continually, perpetually, but they did not have enough oil. They did not have enough oil to keep that candle lit. And legend has it, this is not in our Bible, but this is a legend behind, behind Hanukkah, they kept pouring and God kept supplying the oil. And that's why we have the candelabras of Hanukkah. It's a feast of lights. And right here in this passage, Jesus is saying, he is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. But the people love darkness rather than the light. People who are in sin don't want the light to expose their sin. You realize that? When we are in sin, we don't want the light to expose our sin. But people who do what is true come to the light, capital L, with the purpose that they may clearly see that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus' works have been carried out in God. Now, the next point here is remember that this is a message first given to Nicodemus. It seems that Nicodemus became a disciple. In John chapter 7, verses 45 through 52, Nicodemus defends Jesus. Nicodemus actually defends Jesus. And in John 19, 38 through 40, Nicodemus is at Jesus' burial. Nicodemus is actually at Jesus' burial. Jesus came as God with us to be the gift of God's love. This passage is all about Jesus declaring God's love. Let's make some applications. Nicodemus was the teacher of all Israel. Verse 1 and verse 10 tells that. And yet he did not understand. We must seek the Lord to truly understand what God is doing. There will be things in the Christian life that you do not understand, that I do not understand. And we must seek the Lord about them and surrender to the Lord. Seek the Lord and surrender to the Lord. The Lord is omniscient. We must understand that, that we need to be born again. Our first problem had a sin problem. We need a new heart. We need born again. We cannot understand spiritual truths. We cannot seek the kingdom of God without a rebirth. We need to be born again. You will not understand the spiritual truths without being born again and seeking the Holy Spirit. We must trust the Lord. You know, the Lord speaks of what he knows. That's what this passage says. Too often we may doubt, not realizing that the Lord knows the whole picture. We must understand that we really cannot understand. Oftentimes we are confounded by spiritual truths. So we doubt them, but that is not right. God is God, and we are not. There are going to be things of God that we just do not understand. Seek the Lord. Accept him. Follow him. Pray for help. 
The Holy Spirit has a wheel. We uh, can see the works of the Holy Spirit, but we will not know where he comes from or where he is going. God is sovereign. God loves, so he gave. We must sacrifice for those we love too. You realize that? God loved the world, so he gave his unique son, Jesus. We also must sacrifice for those we love. We must always trust in Jesus for eternal life. Jesus is the only way to heaven. We must share this truth. We must look for every opportunity to share the gospel. We must set an example for other believers. We must seek truth. We must seek the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Any of you giving away Christmas gifts this year? Let's raise hands. Any of you? Raise your hand if you're giving away Christmas gifts. Come on, wake up. This is wake up time before the closing song. The greatest gift that we can give anyone is Jesus. Christmas is about celebrating Jesus' birthday, not mine and not yours. It's about Jesus. I encourage you, this year, think of how, with the Christmas season, you can share Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus says in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. My last question is for you. Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Do you know the light of the world? The best thing you can do is make Christmas your spiritual birthday. Turn your life over to him as Lord and Savior. The Bible can be summed up with the acronym that spells gospel. And this is exactly how you can share the gospel with others. Use the acronym gospel. God created us to be with him. We see that in Genesis 1 through 2. God wants a relationship with us, but our sins separate us from God. We see that in Genesis 3. Sins cannot be removed by good works. We see that in Genesis 4 through Malachi 4, through the rest of the Old Testament. So, paying the price for our sins, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who trusts in Jesus alone has eternal life. John through Jude, the rest of the New Testament. Life that's eternal means being with Jesus forever. And the Bible uses four verbs, four action words, verbs or action words to describe our commitment to Christ. Confess, believe, trust, commit. We are called to confess we are a sinner in need of a Savior, to believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior, to trust in him and commit to him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we know you. I pray that we truly do know the light of the world. I pray that we truly do live for you and follow you and we're committed to you. Lord God, if there's anyone here right now or listening to this service later on or watching it on Facebook who, do, who, do, who does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today truly be their spiritual birthday. May today be the day where they confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe in you as the one and only Savior. Trust in you and commit to you. May they respond in a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm trusting in you as Lord and Savior, and I'm committing my life to you. Please come into my life and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you said that prayer, share it with someone today. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner repents. As I always say, I want to say this before the closing song. If you have questions about God or the spiritual life, talk to me. I would love to help you. If you're a non-Christian who has questions, I would love to talk to you. If you're a Christian who is having doubts, talk to me. I would love to help you. And lastly, after we sing this closing song, I'm going to ask Steve to close in prayer. And then we'll have a 
two to maybe five minute little break. If you can't stay for the uh, congregation meeting, just swiftly make your way out of the sanctuary. And within five minutes, probably five minutes tops, we're going to want to gather for the congregational meeting. So please stay if you're able. We will end the Facebook Live. So those of you watching online, that's going to end after the closing prayer. The business meeting will not be online. Please stand if you're able. We're going to go ahead.